0: ramp right over here on the I-81 and I pull into the right lane and I'm traveling down the road and there's this young girl driving a vehicle next to me and she is not only texting and driving okay but she's got the phone all the way up like this and she's typing it and I can see she's driving with her knee okay now I noticed she was old enough to know better and she was young enough to be my daughter so I was going to correct her all right so this is what we did I drove up, I mean I rode up right up next to her. She was going pretty good. I rode up right up next to her and just waited there for a while. And finally, she, you know, she looked over and I went. <laughs> and it was funny how she responded. Okay? She put her phone down and she laughed. She laughed like that. And then she slowed down. Okay? And I could see her in my rearview mirror. Alright? And I'm telling you, I could see her face change. Now she was getting angry. Okay? And she now sped up, right up next to us, and looked over at me, and let's just say she gave me a not very friendly hand gesture, okay, and drove away. I hope that if she's listening, she realizes it was in love, I was just trying to help her, okay, she needed to be corrected, she was wrong. You know, we hear a lot about distracted driving, and I mean, I'm telling you, it's a challenge for me too, every single one of us deal with that. You know, because you're busy and you're on the road and this is just an easy time. I get that. I get that. But, you know, for all the warning about distracted driving, I'll tell you something that concerns me, maybe more, is distracted living. Distracted living. And we see it going on now all around us. I tell you, you know, I'm watching the election just like the rest of you, I'm watching what's all happening with that. And I mean, I get frustrated just as much as the rest of you do. I realize all that. I understand that frustration. But I'll tell you what's starting to frustrate me even more is some of our reactions. Some of our reactions to it. We, we're getting distracted by the things of this earth from our God who's in heaven ruling on His throne today. Do you believe that today? Do you believe God is in charge Do you believe that He has you, your state, your country, your life in His hands? We can trust Him. We can trust Him. This just isn't just elections. This is whatever is going on in your life. This is the challenges that you're facing today. These are the things that that have come your way. You didn't go looking for them, but they're here. And I want to encourage you today from God's Word. Against distracted living... I want us to see the ultimate God of the universe and His ultimate control. And so i got two words for you today. Two words for you today. I'm going to use over and over and over. They're glance and gaze. Glance and gaze. I want us to just glance at what's going on around us and I want us to gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ. That little girl riding down the road was gazing at her phone and glancing every once in a while up ahead of her. Right? She needed corrected. Well, maybe we need corrected too. Let's just glance at what is around us and gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ. This idea is original with me. It's in Hebrews chapter twelve. I think I have it for your screen. Um, Hebrews chapter twelve, verses one and two, basically says this. Okay, there it says, "Let us fix our eyes." Let me read the whole passage to you. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. This translation says. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus or fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Gaze and glance. Take a minute and go to Hebrews chapter 12 with me, would you? This is not our text for this morning, but I do want to hit just a couple things here. We're going to jump into Daniel in just a few minutes, but let's go to Hebrews 12 as we consider this truth of gazing in the Lord Jesus Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and just glancing at those things around and not being distracted by them. Gaze is defined as to fix the eyes in a steady intent, looking often with eagerness or studious attention. That's what gazing is. Studious attention. Looking in that direction. Glancing, on the other hand, is to look at someone or something Quickly, and looking back at the thing that you're gazing upon. Look, you can see this all through this passage, this wonderful passage about Jesus. Verse 2: Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look at, watch where he was gazing. Watch where Jesus gazed as he was redeeming his children, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Himself now, as He is walking through the suffering that He experienced, is gazing on the future. Gazing on the future. Gazing on the Father. Gazing on God. And it's all through this passage, just real quickly. just You, you need to spend time here. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. You see, in this world, we grow weary, we grow faint hearted, we want to quit. When we get stuck on the things around us, away from God, and we're not gazing at the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to quit. We want to quit. I've heard Pastor Brock talk about, you hear this talk of burning out. Well, burning out? Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I want to burn up for Christ. I want to be so focused on Him that I'm going to keep running after Him. And burning out often is more of a symptom of not fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus. He will refuel us. He will empower us. He will encourage you to keep going. Weariness? Being disheartened? Hmm. That's what happens when we look away from the Lord Jesus. Listen, it's all through this passage. We're going to verse number 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Oh, my hands are falling. My knees are shaking. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He'll hold you. Verse 28. It could just continues. Wonderful chapter of Scripture. Verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Mm. I'm going to fix my eyes there. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. A king that cannot be toppled. A lord over all. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And here it comes, verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Look to him, gaze at Christ when things come cuz they're going to when storms practically blow your ship over you need to right your eyes and fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus careful what you gaze at careful what you gaze at cuz you will run there you will run there some of us you know what we gaze at we gaze at the end of the day i got to just get through this day just get through another day or maybe even just get to lunch you know i got to get to lunch that's not worthy of your gaze Got to get through the week, and then it's the weekend. That's not worthy of your gaze. Get through this school year. Not worthy of your gaze. Got to get through reti- get to retirement. Just got to get through this job, and then I can retire. Not worthy of your gaze. I just got to get through this life. If I could just get through this life, and then I'll finally die and be in heaven. Not worthy of your gaze. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author. The perfecter of our faith. Mm, good truth, isn't it? You'd be encouraged to chase after Him. Chase after Him. All right, we're going to go to Daniel now. Okay, that's the first sermon. Okay, Daniel. Okay, Go to Daniel chapter 7. Now we are now crossing a very dangerous river in the book of Daniel. I need you to stay with me. okay? Because I, I could, you could get toppled over in this river and get in a lot of trouble. Okay, Daniel chapter 7 is where we're at. And we are now going to to shift into a very important passage of Scripture, chapters 7 through 12. We're going to work our way through this. But all along, we're going to gaze at the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to glance at everything else. But there are some things that will encourage us to continue to gaze. Let me just read the first four verses of Daniel so you get a flavor of what it is we're going to be now dealing with. Okay, Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 to 4. In the first year of Belshazzar, now you should recognize that name. Daniel Daniel communicated in chapter 5 that something was going on with King Belshazzar. This is in the first year of King Belshazzar's reign. New king. New king. The first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream. Now Daniel's seeing a dream. And visions of his head as he lay in his bed... And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. And Daniel declared, and now we're in quotes, this is Daniel relaying for us the dream that he had. I saw my vision by night. Behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and an eagle's wings. Then as I looked at its wings, they were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. Now the passage goes on. But let me just stop here and and deal with this kind of literature that we're now going to be talking about. Okay, this is apocalyptic literature. Now that's a word you hear, but you don't know what it means. The apocalypse, oh, that's scary things, right? You know, the earth shattering and burning and nuclear war and all that. That's not what the word apocalypse means. Did you know that? You have the meaning of the word apocalypse in your Bible. It's the very last book of your Bible. Do you know what the very last book of your Bible was named? In my Greek New Testament, do you know what it says at the top of the very last book of the Bible? You know what it says? The apocalypse. All the word apocalypse means is to reveal. It means to reveal. It means here's something that you haven't present, haven't before now seen, and I'm going to lift the curtain and let you see it. That's all the word apocalypse means. We're going to find in Daniel seven through twelve a lot of apocalyptic language, and it's it kind of has a flavor. And you saw it in verses one to four. You're gonna, we're going to see some weird beasts that have horns and are going to be like weird creatures and all that kind of stuff. And, and some of you are going to get a little bit like, oh, man, what is this going to be now? This is just weird. Now, here's why, you, here's why you think that. Because a lot of people take passages of Scripture like chapter 7 and they do some weird things. And they start telling us what they think this means, and they think that means, and and what this horn is, and what this this country is, and who this king is, and this king's going to come from here. and, And before you know it, you know, you are in like this little fairy tale that they're telling, and you don't know where they're getting it. They're just making this stuff up on the fly, and you don't understand it. Listen, you and I are priests in the kingdom of God. When you came to Christ, God gave you a special relationship with Him. You don't need some magic eight ball to understand the Bible, okay? We're not going to shake that thing. (laughs) Grease. Okay, that's what this means. That's not what we're going to do. The whole Bible is written to point to Jesus. It's all pointing to God on His throne, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So as we glance at chapter 7 through 12, we're going to gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to follow me there? We're going to glance at everything that we see here. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we're going to see things about the future, yes. We're going to see things that God has revealed about the future. And some of it is going to be very, very fuzzy. And that is on purpose, I believe, by the Spirit of God. It's on purpose. Because we need to continue to trust the Lord Jesus. So all of your questions are not going to be answered. But we're going to point to Christ and fix our eyes on Him. The first thing I want us to do is I want us to glance now. Okay, We're going to glance at man's attempts to rule. We're going to glance at man's attempts to rule. We're going to find that in verses 1-8. to We've already seen the start of it. Daniel now has this vision. This is the first time that Daniel has had a vision that he is sharing with us. This is God now speaking to Daniel so that he can understand this. This is a special dispensation of God's grace into Daniel's life. This doesn't happen every day, okay? This, This happened a few times and they're recorded in God's Word. But they have truth for us today. And what Daniel is going to see, often we're going to see in chapters 7 through 12, much of, it is, much of it is future for Daniel when it was written. Much of chapters 7 through 12 is in the future when Daniel wrote it, but much of that has already occurred. Much of what we're going to read has already occurred, but when Daniel wrote it, it hadn't happened yet. Okay? For instance, he is going to see in verses 1 through 8 these world powers that are going to arise. Okay, you look, at, you look, now we won't take the time to read them all, but in verse number 4 we have this lion. And, and it's pretty clear what we know is this is talking about Babylon, the nation that he is in. And if you just look at it, you can see the reasons why. Just, just as an example, I want you to understand why that is. Look at verse 4. The first was like a lion, had eagle's wings. Now, you may not know this, but, but lions were a very important part of the Babylon culture. They had all kinds of lion statues, but there's more than that. I looked at its wings as they were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. Who's that sound like to you from the book of Daniel? Who went through that exact experience? Who had all of their, you know, all of their abilities plucked away and they lost their mind and then God put it back? Who was that? Can you say his name? Nebuchadnezzar. who Daniel's talking about. He then goes through and describes these other sort of beasts. A bear rises up, okay, and then a leopard and so forth. But then in verse number 8, there's a significant beast that rises up. He describes it in verse 7 as the fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful. He doesn't identify what it is. I think it's so scary to Daniel in his dream. He says in verse number 15 that his spirit is anxious within him. Especially about this fourth part of this vision that he saw. He is now shaking in his dream, okay? He tells us why. It devours and breaks into pieces and it stamps out whatever is left. It's clear from history he's talking about the Roman kingdom. They stamp out the Jews. I mean, they, they, there is a holocaust that happens. But more than that, verse number 8. You see, on this beast are these horns. And this is already weird to us, I know. But listen to verse number 8, and you're going to find out what this horn is. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the horn, first horns were plucked up by the roots. Now here comes an important sentence. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now here's what we have. We have man's attempt to rise up and rule. And man does this over and over and over. Men and women now rise up and attempt to rule over the whole earth through their own power. And that you see this throughout history, and we're gonna see it into the future. People are gonna try to rise up and 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 really just thumb their nose at God and oppose God and rule the world. And what we're seeing here, what what Daniel's gonna teach us to do, is to simply glance at that. Glance at that. When we see leaders in, the, in our government, in our world, in your, econ, in, your, in your employment, wherever it is, when you see ungodly people who rise up and try to grab the rule, I want us to learn from Daniel, not to gaze at them, to glance at that and instead gaze where Daniel did. Look at verse number 9. Gaze at the Lord. As I looked... Daniel now is in his dream. Remember, he is anxious. He doesn't understand what is being revealed to him. Future kings, future kingdoms. But as I looked in his dream now, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. And the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued. It came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Daniel has now experienced and is now revealing for us a view into the throne room of God. We must gaze there. There's a few times in Scripture where this happens. There's a few times in Scripture where God allows man to see into his throne room and He tries to describe it. You'll see it in Ezekiel chapter 1. You'll see it in Isaiah chapter 6. You'll hear Paul talk about it in the book of 2 Corinthians. And we will see it in the book of Revelation. But over and over and over, you see these same themes that play out as man peers into the throne room of God. And I want to just point out a couple things to you. First of all, notice there's a throne. There are thrones. This This is symbolizing power. This is symbolizing authority. This is symbolizing ultimate authority. The God of the universe rules over all man. The God of the universe rules over all creatures. You see, we can describe our creation, what we see here and say God controls all of this, but He controls more than that. God controls the angels and the demons and all the principalities He goes on to describe in the book of Ephesians and Colossians. The Lord is ruling supreme over all these things. Colossians 1, verses 15-20, to speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, says He made them all. He sustains them all. And they were all made by Him and for Him. This is the God that you may know today. The one that that throne room is offering us and offering the world around us relationship. That's huge, folks. That's huge. Believers in their heart just relish this truth. I know God. This one. He's called here the ancient Of days, That's only used three times in your Bible, and they're all in Daniel chapter 7. They speak to God's eternality, that He has no beginning, He has no end. He is the ancient of days. There is no start of Him. God didn't decide, or nobody else decided that is, to make God. He's always been, and He always will be. And this world has never been out of His control. From the the highest points of control, government, those kind of things, to the little intimate details of your life. God is controlling all. That's important for us to know. It's important for you to know that. That no matter what may come, no matter what world power may raise up, no matter what may happen all around us, no matter what may happen in your marriage, or your home, or your employment, or with your life, the Ancient of Days is ruling. It goes on. I mean, there's more here. His clothing is white. He's, he's described with these, these terms of, of purity is what this is. And a stream of fire issues out from Him. It comes out from before Him. So this is speaking of God's purity and His absolute demand for purity to come before Him. The only way that we can ever approach God because He is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12 told us, is if we come in that pure, holy sense as well. This is the great God that Daniel was able to peek into and see His throne room. He's not alone. God is not alone. He never has been. Can you allow the relational nature of the Trinitarian nature of God to impact you? God has never been alone. He has always had Father, Son, Spirit. This is why you and I are made for relationship. Within the very person of God is relationship. This is why you do need one another. This is why you do need the Lord God. You were made in His image. And He's always, always been in relationship. And before Him are thousands of thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. This is not, you know, don't sit there and do the math and figure out what this number is. This is innumerable. Creatures standing before Him. He sits there in judgment gaze there gaze there now we're going to see this relate to the future in just a moment we're going to see this relate to the the future of of you and me and the whole world and here's something that i'm finding about about us the more we struggle the more we suffer the more that our underpinnings are shook the more that we aren't sure what's happening in our lives and and who's in control and and things come our way, the more that happens, the more we need to gaze on Christ and know that our future is in His hand. You and I need this, maybe for where we're walking, maybe for what preparedness for what is coming in our lives. I don't know what the future holds for you and me. I don't know. I don't know what, what might come down the path of our lives next week. Okay, But here's what I know. That throne room is still ruling. And you and I must gaze there. Now we're going to glance at something in just a minute. Daniel's now going to see far into the future from him. At least 2,500 years before Daniel is alive, he's going to see one. Now let me tell you who this person is because I want to deal with your freak-out factor, okay? Daniel is now going to see the Antichrist. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but I want you to relax, okay? Because I'm not going to, you know, tell you, the Antichrist lives here, and this is what he looks like. Here's a picture of him. I don't, no, 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 no. All right? Just relax. Daniel is now going to glance... At this one who is identified as the Antichrist, that's what he's called in the book of 1 John, chapter 2. You can look at it, okay? Verse about number 18 through about 23. You'll see there where the Antichrist is spoken of. But what he represents for us today, I'm not, we don't want to try to figure out what country he's from and how old he is and what his religion No, no, we're not getting all that. That's, that's, that's too much gazing, that's not worthy of our gaze. We will gaze at the throne room. But what we will see is that now sinful man is going to go to his, the greatest effort that he can and raise up the, the, the pentacle of what sinful man can offer to oppose God. The one who will oppose God at the greatest level. We, we call, the Bible refers to him as the Antichrist. By the way, we know what that means. That means instead of. It doesn't mean the opposite of. It means instead of. That's an important clarification. We're going to see this one who is now going to be offered to the world instead of Christ. Instead of Jesus. And we will watch Daniel simply glance at that and look to Christ. Let's see it. Jump on down a little bit. Okay, Verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and visions of my head alarmed me. He says in 16 through 18 that he asked one who's there with him, very likely an angel, what is all this? What is going on? So verse 19, we see that. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron, claws of bronze, which devoured a broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head. And he asked about this one that now speaks against the Most High. Verse 21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. What is happening here? What is happening? Satan in all of his power, man in all of his sinfulness, is now going to raise one up to oppose God. And we see this. We sometimes call this the spirit of the Antichrist, even though that term isn't in your Bible. But we see it all through the culture. Do you not see people opposing Jesus? Do you not see people being friendly with the idea of God, but don't you dare mention Jesus Christ? Oh, when we do that, the room silences, doesn't it? I've been there and so have you. Mention Jesus and people get apprehensive and we see that all around us. Well, let's look at this test case. We are now going to see the worst that sin has to offer. The worst that Satan has to offer. And let's see what happens. Okay? all right, Go with me. Verse 23. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast... There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms that should devour the whole earth or trample it down, break it the peace. We've seen that. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings shall rise, another one shall rise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. He shall put them down. I don't know what all that means. I can't tell you what that means. But verse 25 is important. Watch what this... this is the worst that sin has to offer. This is the worst that Satan has to offer. Verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they, meaning the saints, shall be given into His hand for a time, times, and half a time. But... Okay, we're going we're to simply glance at that. But, verse 26 is so important. Hear this now. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Here is end of the matter. I love the way he says that. That's it. Listen. No matter what God may see come opposing Him. No matter what man may bring, no matter what sinful man may bring, no matter even if it's powered by Satan, anyone who rises against the Lord God will be taken down. It's the end of the matter. Now verse 25 is challenging, but it's also encouraging. It's encouraging. Notice what... See what the opposition to Christ does. Let's see what when when one opposes Christ, what he does. And I want us to look at this in a little more detail for a couple reasons. First, I want to make sure that we aren't doing this. We should not fall in line with those who oppose Christ. So the first evaluation is, are, are we doing this? The second reason I want to look at verse 25 is I want to encourage you that when, when you experience these things, living out in the world, that is the nature of this sinful world. Do not be surprised, Jesus says, when you experience tribulations. In this world, that's going to happen. That's what Jesus said. Let's look at it. He shall speak words against the Most High. This is characteristic of those who oppose God. They will speak against Him. Words matter. Words matter. Ancient words. I appreciated that song today, Steve. Thanks for leading us in that. Words matter. If there's any indication of that, look what we're doing right now. We're opening up God's Word, and we're looking at it verse by verse, word by word, and understanding what it means. Those who oppose God speak it with their mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's not my idea. That's Jesus speaking. And so those who oppose God, their mouths will betray them. So first thing, what does your mouth betray? What does your mouth reveal about your heart? Words matter. They matter. Secondly, it says, He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. When sin and sinful man and Satan himself, when one is sent, empowered by them, the worst that they can offer, what they do is they wear out us. They wear out the saints. In reality, we've got it pretty easy. Don't you agree? Anybody here have been persecuted for your faith? Oh, a few few have been maybe made fun of. A few have been laughed at. Potentially, there may be some in this room that have physically experienced some suffering because of Christ. But if that's the case in a room this size, if there's one here who has experienced physical suffering for Christ, I would be surprised. But in reality, over over our planet, over the universe, it has been the walk of believers to experience suffering for Christ. Here's how Jesus said it. All who live a go- I'm sorry, Paul said this all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's 1 Timothy chapter six. This is the nature of, of life in the kingdom of this earth. The kingdom of this earth opposes the kingdom of God, first with words, and when that doesn't work, then with actions. First with words, then with actions. So be encouraged when those things come. This is what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We are blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There was one time I was with an old man here in town delivering food to people who were hungry and they knew we were there because of Jesus. We knocked on a door. A rough door, I tell you. Scary environment. Door opens up. Hey, he says, I'm just there watching, just listening, just tagging along, okay? And the door opens up, and he says, hey, got a piece of bubble gum for you, and we got a bunch of food, and I've got a track here I want to give you. And he handed them all these items, and the person, I'll never forget it, looked at him and goes, and spit right in his face. Now what would you do? I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I mean, I wanted to just, you know, I'm going to clean house, right? But no, uh, no, no. I was there as mentee, okay? I wasn't in charge. He stood there, spittle dripping off his face. He said, God loves you. Jesus died for you. I'm going to leave this stuff right here. we turned around and walked away. Man, challenged my heart. Challenged my heart. The world hates Jesus. Get over it. Get over it. Because more importantly than that, the world needs Jesus. And you and I, I trust, have Him. The world needs the message of Christ. The world needs more than your godly the living. The world needs more than your morality. The world needs more than your stance for biblical principles. The world needs Jesus. And words matter We have to communicate the words of the Gospel to people so they can respond. Spittle dripping off our face, that's okay. The world needs Christ and the Gospel. Will we share? Are you prepared to tell people some basic truths? Listen, we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. You know that truth. It's in Romans 3.23. Write it down. Memorize it. Write it on your hand. Tattoo it on your arm. I don't care. Remember it. All sin sin and fall short of the glory of God. The world needs to hear that. It's bad news, but the world needs it. They may spit on you for it, but keep going. Gaze at Christ, glance at the spittle, okay? The world needs Romans 6.23, that the wages of that sin is death. The world needs to hear this. This is not a message you find on your own. You don't stumble through a forest somewhere and find that whittled out on a tree. You need someone to tell you these truths. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The world needs to hear Romans 5.8 that though we were sinners, God demonstrated His love to us in this, that He died for us. And lastly, the world must hear. Listen, my life till I was 15 years old, I think I could have told you everything I've said so far. I think I could have told you I was a sinner, I deserved hell, and that Jesus died for me. But I was not a believer. I was not a believer. I probably could have even quoted some of those verses to you. I had unbelieving Sunday school teachers that made me memorize those things, and I wasn't a believer. Because I had not understood the truth of Romans 10.9. That if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. I knew all those truths, but I had not received Christ. So I had all that knowledge and I was on my way to hell. This is the world that we live in. There are lots of people running around that were just like me. And praise God, he brought a woman into my life who told me I needed to receive Jesus. And I did. The world, the worst the world has to offer will oppose, will, wear, will attempt to wear out saints. He shall... Now, let's finish this, Okay. He'll shout, he'll shall change, he'll, let me see, and shall think to change the times and the law. What is going on there? When the worst that sin has to offer, when it's, when it's brought to its place, there will be an effort to change what God has instituted, there'll be an effort to change what God has declared. Be it times, be it laws, the worst that the world has to offer will try to change God's truth. Hmm, ever seen that anywhere? All around us, because the world is opposing Christ. Don't be surprised. And they shall be given into his hand. Now that's troublesome. That's troublesome. There are believers who will be given into the hand of the worst the world has to offer and they will lose their life. And Revelation speaks about them draped in white. They are worshiping the Lord. And they will say, worthy are you. As I gaze at you, you are worthy of me even giving my life. But I like this last little phrase of verse 25. For a time, times... And half a time. Now, I don't have time to explain what all that means, okay? But I'll tell you what it is. This is a three and a half year period. Now, I know you're probably thinking, oh gosh, we're getting weird. It's not just here, okay? You also find it in Revelation chapter 13. There is, but what I want us to see is when, when God allows the worst the world has to offer to, to rise up into power, it's limited, it's limited it's only going so far it's only gone so long i remember when i was in basic training i had this good friend jason milligan okay he's an african-american man from louisiana and we were tight man and we would say this to one another when we were getting in all kinds of trouble we're doing push-ups you know and mountain climbers and all this stuff and jason and i would look at each other that's what we would always say what are they going to do Beat us with a rubber hose. And that was like our joke. I know it means nothing to you, but if Jason was here right now, we would crack up saying that because this is what it meant. Really, what are they going to do to me? I'm out of here in 8, 10 weeks anyway. I mean, they can't do anything to me. Would they be a beat with a rubber hose? I don't think so. I'll do push-ups all day. I don't care. It's limited. God is going to allow man to have his sinful way to the max. God's going to say, go. Go. Offer the best you got. But it's limited. It's limited. So is what you're experiencing. So is that thing. Don't you give up hope, thinking there's no end to this. Oh, yes, there is. Yes, there is. No more tear. No more sorrow. No more shame. No more sun. Because God is the light. Mm. See, it's all limited. Okay, one more gaze, and i got to stop. One more gaze. Let's go back for that one. Okay. Verse 13. Man, you know, sermons could be written on verse 13. Look where Jesus, look where Daniel, that is, is gazing. Look where he gazes. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages, that's us, should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You say, who is this? Who is this one that's going to come on these clouds? He's going to look like a son of man. What does that even mean, you wonder? Oh, if you wonder that, you are in good company. This is a term that refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here He is. He is now going to be given dominion. God, listen to what God said. God said, I will not share my glory with another. God said that in Isaiah 42. I'm not sharing my glory with another. But what's he do right here? What does he share right here? He shares his glory. So who must this other be? It is God. But he is coming as a son of man. He's in a human form. Jesus is now walking into the throne room of God. We are now seeing to the future, folks. Verse 13 and 14 has not happened. It has not happened yet, but I'm telling you, the angels are longing for it. The demons are fearing it. Believers are looking to it. This is going to happen one day. One day, we will be there with these thousands of thousands, and the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be brought into all of his glory, and God will say, This is the one. And he'll be given a kingdom, he'll be given glory, and it'll never, ever end. This is a coronation. This is the king of the universe being coronated. See, Jesus today is the king, but he's not ruling over this earth right now. Is he? I see people dying of cancer. I see children being abused. I see people that I love passing out of this world. Jesus died to to end all of that. And when he rules, all that will be gone. See, here in just a little bit, we're going to have an election. November 8th, somebody's getting elected, probably, okay? More than likely. Somebody's going to get elected. But he or she, I don't know, he or she will be the president-elect. But not until that inauguration date will they be identified as the president. We call it an inauguration. When you have a king, you call it a coronation. And that's what this is. That's what this is. One last place. Go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. I want you to see that this is Jesus. But more important than that, I want you to see the importance of you and I responding to it. Matthew chapter 26, we're going to see this very term brought up. It's essential for us as we gaze at the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, as you look at it, you can see that we are now at the trial, the mock trial, the joke of a trial of Jesus. At the end of this trial, Jesus will be, will be sentenced to death. And he will go to a cross and die for the sins of mankind. But I want to jump in here, verse number 62 of chapter 26 of the Gospel of Matthew. And let's see what happens here. And let's see what should happen in our heart. 62, the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said again, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus spoke now. He said to him, You've said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And I'm telling you, every single member of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisee group that is there instantly knew he was referring to Daniel chapter 7. They all knew. This is Daniel 7. Coming, Son of Man, clouds of heaven. This, he's speaking of the one that God will give all power to. The high priest tore his robes. Said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard the blaspheme. What is your judgment? They said, he deserves death. And they spit in his face. And they struck Him, and they slapped Him, and they said, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? It's not enough to know what Jesus is claiming for Himself. It's not enough to know that He's saying, I am the Son of Man. It's not enough to know that God is ruling on His throne. You and I must answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? He is God. Gaze at Him. He is the Savior. Gaze at Him. He's coming to reign. Be encouraged. No matter what comes your way, the Lord Jesus is coming next. Let's pray to Him. Father in Heaven, Lord, We bow before You in our hearts and look forward to doing it on our knees, Lord. You are the God of the universe. Everything that is came from You. And Lord, we worship You now. And one day we will stand before Your throne robed in righteousness, redeemed by Your Son, standing in glory, Lord. We will offer You praise. Give us a taste of this today. In Jesus' name, amen.